Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Good Good Judgment Judgment Podcast. Podcast. Folks, this is a podcast that's purpose is for Georgia judges or anybody else who might be interested in what goes on in the courtroom. Please understand that we are Georgia-focused, meaning that we are going to focus our attention on issues that arise under Georgia law, but occasionally we will get into some subjects of common interest. And we really appreciate you folks listening. And as we go to the studio audience, we ask, please hold your applause till the end. All right, now to the studio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that comes up quite often in my jurisdiction. What about you, Wade? Yeah, absolutely and definitely. We hear them all the time. Today, we're talking about the subject of actions to legitimate children born out of wedlock. So it's important everybody understand that there is always a tension, I guess, between establishing rights of parents as compared to deciding what is in the best interest of the child. That applies here in almost all, every custody decision we make. That's right. One of the most fundamental rights offered under the, both the United, State and, United States and Georgia constitutions is the right to be a parent. Some say that it's a right even more protected than other more familiar rights afforded by the constitutions. It's important to remember that courts are charged to always look at the, quote, best interest of the child. You're going to hear this standard repeatedly today. In fact, if you're a judge and you're really bad at remembering stuff, just remember that phrase, best (laughs) interest of the child. Absolutely. There are times where the constitutionally protected right to be a parent and the decision on what is in the best interest of the child conflict. And that's not completely unusual. These are those tension points we've been talking about for judges. That's a perfect segue, (laughs) Tane. It is. Into the area of law that we plan to discuss today, legitimation. Yeah. So the first and most important rule involving legitimation Everyone have their writing utensils ready? Okay, if you're driving in your car, don't pick up something to write with. It'll all be on goodjudgepod.com. Okay, there's a secret to success in the field of legitimation, and that is, Wade? Do not ever, under any circumstances whatsoever, refer to this legal process, and Tane, I can't even say the word, as legitimization. So, When you do that, please ignore the heading of OCGA section 19-7-22 because the legislature just had a moment of legislative weakness and they named that statute legitimization. But forget all of that. The procedure is called legitimation. Leave the Z out. There's absolutely no Z. Seriously, we talked to lawyers about this, and, and we've done some presentations on to law school classes about this topic. And we tell them, look, you make a living out of what words you use, and it's important that you use the correct words. I just don't know where legitimization comes from because it's a legitimation. I know, but I still hear it all the time. Now, wait. Yes. What do you tell parties when they come into court for legitimation as sort of an explanation for the process? I'm asking for a friend. (laughs) So basically, I look at the parties and I take a moment in our very first hearing to tell them some version of the following. 
You both are here for legitimation action. I realize that you may have some understanding about what we're going to be doing here today, but please allow me a moment to give you my explanation. In a legitimation action, the parties have brought a child into the world outside of marriage. Georgia is the only state that I'm aware of that uses this process. It might be a little bit easier if I explain it this way. Back in the day, children who were born to a couple who were not married at the time of the birth were referred to as illegitimate children. While we don't really use that phrase any longer in polite society, the law realized long ago that a process was needed and that needed to be in place so that illegitimate child could become legitimate. Our statutes allow a father, and only a father can do this under our law, to file a legal action where he seeks to have the child to be declared his legitimate child. Effectively, if that request is granted, the child moves from the status of biological father to legal father. For many years, our old statute required that the father bring a legitimation action against the mother, and if it was granted, the court could then enter an order granting the legitimation, and then basically that case was over. Everybody leaves the courthouse. If the parties want to discuss issues like custody or visitation or child support, a second separate action had to be filed to address those issues. Thank goodness that's not the case anymore. Yeah, finally, someone in the legislature realized that everybody we need to discuss these issues is present in the courtroom when we have a legitimation hearing. So the judge then, instead of separate actions, the judge just must must make a preliminary finding as to whether or not they will grant the legitimation. And then if that is granted, the court can move forward to discuss the issues of custody, visitation, support within that same action. And that's what we're doing today. This is the first step in that process. So Tane, that's what I would basically say to the parties. Then I would probably add something like, you know, unfortunately, y'all brought a child into the world that didn't get to choose because that child might have picked somebody taller or richer or smarter. But that child now is forever stuck with you. Certainly would have picked someone taller. <laughs> but you're right. So let's let's break down some of the features okay. of a legitimation action. So the first of those is a child born outside of a marriage. And that's really important because that's really the starting point. Because if there's a marriage, we'll talk about in a minute that there are some presumptions that are made and we'll go over those. But the first and most important factor is that there's a child born outside of the marriage. Georgia law provides that that any child born is the legal child of the mother. And that makes sense. I mean, we know who the mother is as soon as the child is born. If the parents were married at the time of the birth, but not at the time of conception, that would have ruined the purpose for shotgun weddings, right? So if it was, if it was not at the time of the birth, so, um, a legal presumption arises that the child is quote of the marriage. If a child is born during the time that the parties are married. Now that presumption is rebuttable pain, right? That's right. But there is that presumption because otherwise everybody who had a child married or no would have to run down the courthouse and have court hearings and, that would be a lot of court hearings. Yeah, yeah, it really would. And and uh, so OCGA section 19-7-20A says, quote, all children born in wedlock or within the usual period of gestation thereafter are legitimate. And then also in subsection C of that code section, the the, the statute provides that the marriage of the mother and the reputed father of a child born out of wedlock and the recognition by the father of the child as his 
shall render that child legitimate. In such case, the child shall immediately take the surname of the father. You know, that's one of the biggest fistfights we get in these things, Tane. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But 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 think about what that statute means. And I actually had one of these cases recently where the parents brought an action to um, change the name of the child and legitimate the child because there was a period of a few years between the time that the child was born and the time that they married. And I got to deliver the good news to them that, hey, <laughs> this actually magically already happened and you didn't even know it because you got married and you claimed this child as your own. And now magically that child is not only yours, but under the statute already has your surname according to the statute. And you know, that's one of the things that makes Georgia's legitimation statute very unique is that in other States, these presumptions and, and other paperwork remember Tane, when we used to have to do, you could do the, uh, the paperwork legitimation. Oh, Wade, it was a, it was a complete nightmare. There was an administrative procedure by which someone could be legitimated. And, um, let's just say it didn't work very well. They signed the birth certificate. Oh my gosh. We got all kinds of things that said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm his, I'm his father. I was there at the time of the birth and we filled out some paper and I was like, well, does anybody have a copy of whatever you filled out? Was it the birth certificate? Was it the administrative declaration? Was, was it, it agreement it? to pay the bill? Right. <laughs> what was it? And they were like, Oh no. And of course the hospitals were the only ones who were in charge of that uh, process and the hospitals, you know, didn't necessarily have all the paperwork and they didn't know where to file it or they never filed it. So yeah, it was a nightmare. And so we've, we've abolished that administrative legitimation procedure. And quite frankly, I say good riddance to it. Yeah, absolutely. So we've gotten, we've decided we're only dealing with situations where the child was born out of wedlock. So the next big issue is that only a father can file a legitimation action tain. And it says that the law says that every child born is the legal child of a mother. Obviously, we've already talked about why that's an obvious uh, legal presumption to make, and it makes a lot of sense. If that child is not legitimated, the mother retains all parental power over that child. Under 19.725... Every time a statue decided, an angel gets his wings. Oh, that's, that's a good feeling. Only the mother of the child born out of wedlock is entitled to custody of that child unless the father legitimates the child as provided for in this code section, 19722. 19722. Otherwise, the mother exercises all parental power over that child. Therefore, this entire legitimation process must be initiated by the father. Now, let's take a, a quick detour. You and I recently talked to a class of law students and we, and we talked about the modern family and some of the new realities of, of same-sex marriage and adoptions. I don't know where this is going long-term, but this statute makes it 100% clear it's not the other spouse. It's not. It has to be the father who files this action. That's right. It, it, it has to do with biological parentage. That's the way the statute is set up, and, and that's really all that it has to do with. Now, you touched on something a minute ago that is a separate and different process from legitimation, but one that's sometimes confused with legitimation, and that is a, uh, a paternity action to establish 
child support. And that action can actually be initiated by the mother or it can also be initiated by child services. Is that or right? it could even be like a third party custodian, you know, if that was a thing as well. Right. So, so let's just talk about that for just a second. There is a, a process uh, under OCGA section 19-7-43 that allows the child or, or someone acting on behalf of the child, the mother, the custodian, or the Department of Human Services, or even the father can also file an action for paternity and to set up child support. So maybe he doesn't want to go through legitimation or, or for some other reason, but all of those persons can initiate an action to determine paternity. In other words, you're going to do a DNA test and determine if it's really that person's child and to establish support obligations. You know, when you talk about these things, sometimes the biology gets in the way, but but you don't have an obligation to pay child support unless you're the father. Right. I mean, unless you are a parent of that child, maybe I should say it that way. And and so if we have to establish parentage, mm -hmm. that does not necessarily move you from the category of biological father to legal father. Right. The legitimation is what does that. The legitimation action does that. Well, and think about situations where this could arise, and and it could make a lot of sense. There's a couple that is together but aren't married, and they break up, and seven months later, a child is born. Now, the the person who was was with the, you know this mother of the child seven months ago wants to do the right thing, but doesn't know what's happened, you know, or or, or whether he might or might not be the child. Perhaps that's one of the reasons they broke up was that the child's father. Yeah. The child's father, maybe there was some, uh, you know, affair that was going on or something that they found out about, but he wants to do the right thing. So he says, okay, look, I'm, I'm willing to pay child support. I just want to make sure this is my child. And so they can go and ask the court, uh, to initiate a, a, a paternity test. And if the paternity test comes out, uh, that he is the father, then, uh, child support is established, but understand under that paternity statute, we're only establishing child support. There's not a legitimation of the child under that statute. There's also not the establishment of visitation and custody rights. The custody remains in that cir circumstance 100% with the mother. Absolutely. And, you know, as an aside to the aside, we're if people, really far aside. We are. We're side. We're way side of the side. We're sideways. The Whenever someone is receiving public assistance, there is an obligation to cooperate with Child support recovery is what we've always called it. I know it has a much more appropriate name now, but the department that that it is very common that they will identify someone as the father, and those paternity tests will come back negative. Yes, I mean that happens a lot more often than one might believe. I mean, I well, don't think it's one in ten, but it's it, but it's a substantial number. We see it on Jerry Springer all the time. Wait, you are not the father. And that's that. The, Wade. that's just ridiculous. That whole show. Anyway, <laughs> all right. Let's go next. Jurisdiction and venue. Yeah, let's talk talk about how how we have jurisdiction in the legitimation actions. Getting back to legitimation. So under nineteen seven twenty two B, the action has to be filed in the county of the residence of the mother, or whoever has custody of the child, assuming that the person that person is a resident of Georgia. Right. If and it's if a non-resident, what do we do? If the, if the mother is not a resident of Georgia or cannot, after due diligence, be found within the state, the petition must be filed in the county of the residence of the petitioner. 
So if it's filed in a pending adoption action, which has happened before, that, mm-hmm. that the father has never legitimated, gets notified of the adoption, realizes they don't have much standing to do much unless they file legitimation, if it's, con- it's filed in connection with an adoption, the legitimation must be filed in the county where the adoption is pending. And that makes sense because one county could be determining legitimation at the same time another county is uh, determining rights under adoption. So if there is a legal father who is not the biological father, that legal father must be made a party to the action. Now, let's not get lost on those terms, Tane. How could it be that there's a legal father who's not the biological father? So if the child was born during wedlock, let's say, so there's a there's a couple who are married, uh, uh, husband and wife, and there's a child born during wedlock, but that child was the product of an affair that the, that the wife had, um, under the statutes, there's a presumption that that child is a child, quote, of the marriage. And so the father, I'm sorry, the husband would would be the legal father in that circumstance, but is not the biological father. More often than I'd care to admit, we've had cases where the person absolutely knew he was not the biological father and, quote unquote, I'm using my air quotes here, signed the birth certificate yeah. claiming that he was. Yeah. And then they break up, shockingly. And turns out that we have to go do th- this whole rigmarole, and it's that's a really cool word, rigmarole. I know it's really awesome. But but it's a whole big thing to undo all, all of that. So um, we've talked about what a legal father might be, um, and then the legal father always has the right to intervene in a legitimation action. That's right. So. When the mother files that one of those other actions, Tane, the ones to establish paternity and support, the father can make a counterclaim for legitimation. Yeah, and I don't know. Reported father, maybe. I I don't know about your actions for legitimation, but a a lot of my legitimation actions happen one of two ways. Number one, a mother has filed for child support. Number two, uh, Department of Driver Services has suspended someone's driver's license because they failed to pay child support. So uh, then they counterclaim for legitimation in the paternity action, or they file a legitimation to try to legitimate the child and get their driver's license back. I hate to sound cynical, but that's how most of mine end up getting filed. Well, the 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 department has a program, the parent, the fatherhood program that specifically encourages and enables people to file pro se actions for legitimation. I understand the concept. I'm not beefing with the concept. It's just some of those people don't actually want to be the father. They just want to fire back something because they're going to have to pay child support. That's right. Hey, let me ask you a quick question, Wade. What does UCCJEA stand for? Go. Uniform Child Custody Jurisdiction and Enforcement Act. I'm glad you knew one that. Because if you put me on the spot, I would have probably not been able to say One that. of our judges used to call it an ukja. I, I do not subscribe to the let's call things by their acronyms. So UCCJEA applies to all custody determinations. And and if you want to know what that is, we've talked about it in some of our other podcasts about domestic relations, but essentially it, it talks about who has jurisdiction in cases that span across state lines. Um, and see, we're in Augusta, so we have South Carolina, you know, literally in our next door. Absolutely. And so we frequently have these where, and, and we also have a, a uh, army base, a large army base, Fort Gordon. And so therefore we have a lot of people from other places. And so we get a lot of UCCJEA actions 
And we, we hear a lot of them. Do you hear a lot of those in Cobb, given that you're kind of middle of the state? We really don't. Um, I, I mean, usually it's just something where somebody has recently moved or one of the parents is still living out of state and we have some issue that pops up about that, but not very often. So folks, we've had a whole podcast on UCCJEA. At least I think we have. I'm not sure we have, Wade. Maybe we, we need to do that. We've done a whole, we've, we, we, we repeatedly talk about this in NJO. So anybody who's been through NJO knows what this is. But um, so we're not going to go down that whole analysis here because we want to stay on the subject of legitimation. Remember, juvenile court has concurrent jurisdiction to hear a legitimation action when it's transferred by a proper order of superior court or there is a pending wholly separate dependency action in juvenile court. Yeah, and I have done a couple of transfers in legitimation actions when there was something else pending in juvenile court that was related. So let's talk about the requirements of a petition uh, that's filed for legitimation. And I'm just going to tell you right now, a lot of these petitions get filed uh, pro se. And so you may need to check the petitions and just see that all of the requirements are made. But they start off with the first and foremost, which is only a biological father may file a petition for legitimation and therefore a step parent may not bring a legitimation action. So then the petition must set forth the name, age, and gender of the child and the name of the mother. Now, you know, we've got a uniform rule that says this whole age thing, don't put the date of birth. You can put the year of birth, but don't put the date of birth. That's right. So you may need to strike that out in some pleadings or something. But the law also allows the petition to request that the child's surname be changed. And if the petitioner seeks to have the name of the child changed, the new name of the child must be a part of the petition. In other words, what they're seeking to change it to. And again, Wade and I mentioned a moment ago, this is one where one of the big fist fights usually comes up um, in legitimation actions is um, what, what you're going to change the, the name to. And we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes and some of the considerations that you might make in that circumstance. Absolutely, because that is usually a very big ticket fight. Now, and I have to give a little shout out here to one of our retired judges, Judge David Roper. He was very involved in the next thing we're about to talk about. Um, you know, there was a period of time that Superior Court judges only had the authority to terminate parental rights in connection with an adoption. And in the modern context, it happens more often than not that you have a biological father and a legal father, and they're not the same person. All of that being said, we didn't have a mechanism to delegitimate a legal father who turns out not to actually be the father. But that all changed with the advent of a statute that deserves an angel getting its wings, and that's OCGA section 19-7-1B.1, which gave the superior courts the authority to terminate parental rights of a legal father in connection with a petition for legitimation. Hit it, Wade. Every time a statute is cited, an angel gets his wings. Thank you. So in deciding whether you want to grant this petition, we've got the petition filed, it's been served, now you are, should you grant it or not? The really the only question that the judge has to decide is whether or not that purported father has lost his opportunity interest to be a parent. Now, so so let me stop you right there, Wade. A lot of times, and in the majority of my legitimation actions, the question that comes up and that I ask at the very outset is to the mother: Do you agree that this person is the biological father of the child, and or do you consent? 
to a legitimation of this child because we can sort of foreclose a whole lot of issues if the mother says, yeah, it's his child. I just want him to pay child support, you know, and he can have some visitation with the child. And frequently that's the answer that I get to that question. But if the mother says, well, he's the biological father of the child, but I don't think he needs to be able to legitimate this. This is where the question of opportunity interest arises. And so talk talk a little bit, Wade, about what opportunity interest means. I think it's best to probably use one of Justice Melton's quotes. Do you want to talk about how powerful he is? He's amazing. I, I tell you what, I mean, just he's, he's truly one of my favorite justices of all time. He does live in Cobb County, doesn't he? Yeah. He's, yeah. Okay. And he, so, gra- and he grades my papers. So the law has long held that, quote, unwed fathers possess an opportunity interest to develop a relationship with their children that is protected by due process of law. And that opportunity interest begins at conception and endures probably throughout the, the minority of the child, but it is not indestructible. And that comes from a case, Mathenia, I guess, M-A-T-H-E-N-I-A versus Brumbelow, B-R-U-M-B-E-L-O-W, 308, Georgia 714, a 2020 case. But don't worry about writing that down, Tane. Where that, can they find it? That's right, because it's it's on our website at goodjudgepod.com. Reading law during a podcast is not awesome. And see, that's where I beg to differ, because this is law that comes directly from Chief Justice Melton. And it is awesome. So (laughs) unwed fathers also have an interest that is protected by due process, but if not pursued, it can be lost or abandoned. And that's the whole concept of opportunity interest, um, that you have this constitutional right that's sitting out there, but if it gets stale or if you somehow don't exercise it, you can lose your opportunity to continue to be a father to that child. And, and those factors that you look at, you know, a lot of time it might be simpler to say the age of the child compared to when have you last been around, but that's not a very good legal standard. Right. So the legal standard becomes that you should consider the biological father's inaction or action during the pregnancy and at birth, any delay in filing the legitimation petition, and a lack of contact with that child that is sort of continuous or meaningful. Right. And all of those are, are set out in that Methenia case that we cited a minute ago. You know, it's interesting. And you say, well, how, you know, some of those things are going to be obvious. And, you know, you can just calculate a time, as you said, between the time they last saw the child and, and the present time. Well, that's not always the case. I had a case a few years ago where the child was seven years old. The father had not seen the child since the date of birth in the hospital. But it was very clear that that was because the mother had actively hidden the child from him. She had changed residences and wouldn't let him know where they were. She wouldn't respond to any of his attempts to communicate with her through friends and relatives and family and, you know, the usual social media. So, you know, those are factors that would go into whether the father has tried to exercise that opportunity interest. You know, all those efforts at frustrating the father's relationship, though, frankly, don't really improve the, the dad's relationship with the child. I mean, it, I mean, it is what it is. At some point, you're coming into this sort of late, and I would like to have custody or visitation with my child every other weekend and one time during the week and half the summer. And you may not be able to go from zero to 100, but when you're making this initial opportunity interest, that really is what efforts has the father taken 
to have a relationship with the child, you're going to get to a best interest analysis, but, but the opportunity interest piece really focuses on conduct of dad and, and whether it is, I wouldn't want to say excusable, but I, maybe I should say excusable that, that he has, he has not been around for a while, but if he has abandoned his opportunity interest to develop a relationship with that child, that really is the only reason you would, I guess, deny a legitimation petition at least yeah. at first glance. Yeah, it's it's essentially a determination of willfulness. You know, has has the father willfully abandoned an opportunity to have a relationship with the child? This is a pretty good quote. The 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 appropriate inquiry is not whether the father could have done more, but rather whether the father has done so little as to constitute abandonment. That's right. The fact that the father did not file a legitimation petition earlier because the results of genetic testing had not been obtained is no defense to an unreasonable delay. Genetic testing is not a prerequisite to filing a legitimation petition and therefore cannot be an excuse for not filing the petition earlier in the child's life. Payment of child support, whether it's voluntary or involuntary or formal or informal, is a factor you should consider. It doesn't necessarily win the day, but it is a factor that would be appropriately, you know, appropriate for the court to consider when making these determinations. That's right. So the, once you've made a determination with respect to abandonment or not, the opportunity interest analysis, the next thing we look at is a best interest determination. And of course, as we said at the outset, best interest of the child is a standard that's used in many of the cases involving child custody. And, you know, that's really just a finding that you're going to have to make after looking at all of the factors uh, that are presented in the case. So determining whether to grant the best interest, grant the legitimation, the best interest standard comes second, really, to the lack of loss of opportunity interest. It would be the he has not abandoned his opportunity interest and it is in the child's best interest. And I would probably analyze it that way and sort of in that order if I had a contested legitimation hearing. Yeah, because if you make the determination that the father has abandoned their opportunity interest, you don't go to step two. You don't make a determination as to whether it's in the child's best interest at that point. And when there is a legal father who is not the biological father, that probably even heightens this whole best interest analysis because, as I tell people all the time, you earn the title of daddy. You can be, you know, the sperm donor thing is is something that was decided long before, but but when you become somebody's daddy, it may not matter whatsoever that y'all have no blood alike. It, it It is who raised you, who, you know, who is in your house at night and who gets rid of the monsters under the bed and stuff. Yeah, that's so true. Well, wait, let's talk briefly about, okay, we've decided that there's going to be a legitimation, that, that it's going to be granted. Next, let's talk about the things that the court can then determine uh, after granting legitimation. So we've granted the legitimation. So the thing that you're going to have, I mean, I'm telling you, I can't tell you how many fights we've had over this one issue. And that is the change of the surname of the child. And it's one of the areas, not only where there's a huge disagreement, the law basically doesn't give you a ton of information about how you're supposed to make decisions. Yeah. Wise judge. Yeah. There's really no guidance about it out there at all. So wait, wait, and I'll give you a couple of hints. And, and, and the first one I give you is, don't get cute with this. Don't hyphenate the child's name. Don't do stuff like that. Just straight up make a decision one way or the other about what's the child's last name going to be. And and no beef with anybody who has a hyphenated last name. No, I mean, you know, no, if that's I'm what just you saying, want to do, that's fine. But but when you when 
this is really forcing somebody to change their child's name. But what I'm saying is, don't you, without anybody asking you to go hyphenating some child's last name, which neither one of the parties has asked you to do and which that child has, has never been that child's name before, you know, don't do those kinds of things if the parties aren't asking you to do them. I don't think that's just I Judge Kell. Um, but there's another consideration that you also look at. I look at whether or not this child has an identity as this name. If this child is in school, even preschool or daycare or whatever, if this child has developed an identity and gets in line with the R's and not with the M's or whatever, the, if that child has an identity with that name, it is much, I guess, less likely that I will change that child's name than if the child is an infant and doesn't know any better. I agree with you. That's frequently the factor that I look at. And I think about it this way, too. If that child grows up and they develop such a relationship with their father that they want to ask for their name, to, their surname to be changed later on, they always have the ability to go out and do that. Absolutely. So so we've, we've, we've gone through the fistfight of the surname change. Let's talk about custody, visitation, and support as it relates to just legitimation actions. We've talked about these issues on a larger scale before, but let's talk about um, how they apply to legitimation. So, Tane, let's assume we had a temporary hearing and we agreed that what we're going to do is we're going to go do discovery and we're going to have a paternity test. Would you grant legitimation? I mean, excuse me, would you grant any sort of visitation schedule on a temporary basis when we're not 100 that this is a, this person is his child? No, I, I, I don't, I don't think that I would during that situation, because think of what you're doing to the child potentially in that circumstance, you're developing a relationship with a person that you later determine is not their parent and with whom you will then have no ability to give them a further visitation. Once that determination is made, you know, this is one of these things we probably need to discuss the whole right to a jury trial. You have a right to a, a jury trial relative to child support. I cannot imagine anybody wanting to do that. That would just be disastrous on so many levels. But you have a right to do it. You have to have the financial affidavits. And, and by golly, we're going to talk about that when we record some other episodes later today about how many times we don't get those or not correct versions of those. And so that you can plug them into the guidelines. Remember, child support can't be waived. It can't be waived by the parents. It, it can't be discounted by the parents. That's a judge thing. But it can't be waived. And it belongs to the child. It's not the parent's right to waive. Exactly. Let's talk about some of the unique issues, Wade, that are associated with legitimation actions. First of all, let's talk about the statutory presumption. What happens if the husband in a marriage, as we've talked about, is not the father? Can the presumption of legitimacy for a child born, quote, of the marriage be rebutted? Yes, and you got to almost start with an analysis of why. Why does this rule even exist? The statute only, well, frankly, it promotes marriage. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's the, the moral high ground or whatever to promote marriage and promotes children being born into marriages. Putting aside that whole value judgment and that, that, that came with that philosophy probably at the time that statute was passed, understand it's actually quite, quite common for people who are married to have sexual relations with people other than their spouse. I know people are going to be shocked, Shocking. Me, but Shocking. that happens. I can't believe there's gambling at Rick's. Um, so <laughs> I have an example. Nobody even knows what that means. Um, I have an example that came up, a, a real, real life example. Uh, divorce action in 2020. Child was born 
in 2017, parents had been married for like 15 years. Child was born in 2017, but the husband had been incarcerated for the past seven years. And I'm not that good at math, but mm, yeah, I, I ask people sometimes, Probably is it not. mathematically impossible that he's the father? And both of them will look at me and go, oh yeah, that's impossible. <laughs> it is impossible. Because I hate that person. Yes, yes. All right. So the legitimacy described in this code section, the, the presumptive le- legitimacy can be disputed. If you get into one of these, you want to see a code section 19-7-20C would be the code section that you look of. There's a sh- look at, there's a strong presumption of legitimacy and the proof to establish the contrary must be clear. It doesn't, I don't think it says clear and convincing, but there must be clear evidence to the contrary. We've talked about how all of this sort of leads to this modern family issues that, that we have the non-traditional family and the, the cleavers are the Huxtables. I don't, I don't know. I can't think, I think of all my I names. think modern families in syndication on Hulu now. But anyway, that, that, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. All right, I was talking about like family in modern times, not I, the show. I got, okay, I got you. I got you. But, but anyway, no, you're right. And, 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 you know, again, some of these statutes go back a, a really long way, particularly the, the legitimation statutes. And they're, and they're based on those traditional concepts of both marriage and family. And so, and so they use those really arcane phrases like under 19722A1, the biological father is the male who impregnated the biological mother resulting in the birth of a child. Now I know if you got to make a statute that defines what is a biological father, that's probably tough without talking about something, but that just seems a little stiff. Right. And then there's another phrase, legal father, which means a male who has not surrendered or had terminated his rights to a child. So, you know, we think at some point in time, obviously that some of these statutes may be modified or changed to, uh, to, to, to more greatly encompass uh, modern concepts of family. But for the time being, these are the statutes, and you need to know what they mean, and you need to know the ins and outs of it, the, the, the ins and outs of how they operate. You know, same-sex marriages and the presumption of legitimacy. And, well, if you have, have – if the science will tell you that, that that can't be a biological father, and so you can be the other spouse, but you're not yeah. necessarily the biological father. And so – all of that being true, this is always probably going to be one of those issues that 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 the law is going to struggle. The law, the law is always lagging social mores and realities and technology changes, and this is just another example. Yeah, that's right. Well, we touched a little bit on Georgia's experiment with um, can, we administ- not, can we not talk about administrative that? legitimations, and we're going to just skip right over that Thank because God. it was a failed experiment. It was sort of like our experiment for many, many years with common law marriage, which <laughs> just caused uh, lots and lots of problems. But Do you just still have know, people tell you they're common law marriage. I have people all the time that tell me they're common law. Married. I said no, and you're not, and I say, uh-uh. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not old enough. But. Uh, but but just understand, I mean, those cases will be out there where people will say, I don't I don't need to legitimate this child because I signed all the paperwork at the hospital. So, you know, it's just something you need to understand. If you have one of these and you want to look up anything on concerning some of the citations we may have made or some of the stupid comments we may have made about them, you can look up our outline at goodjudgepod.com. That's right. Well, folks, this is a brief overview of the issues of a legitimation action. But Wade, what is the most important thing that we learned today? There is no Z in legitimation. 
That's right. right. Okay, I was just worried. I thought you had another I was just, point. I was just pausing for emphasis. Thanks. So I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. Well, folks, that's all we have for another exciting and enthralling topic here on the Good Judgment Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. This project was the brainchild of Mr. Doug Ashworth, the executive director of ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to the entire University of Georgia College of Law for assisting in our recording. Thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped edit out some of our stupidity and awkwardness. But nobody can get it all. Tane and I are eternally grateful to the Council of Superior Court Judges who allow us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court Judges across Georgia. Thanks to our NJO graduates who've been willing to help with this podcast series. You know that these are our opinions and they do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, CSCJ, the University of Georgia College of Law, or anybody else for that matter. You can contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com for any praise. But please contact someone else with any complaints. But seriously, we would love to have your feedback, both good and bad. Send any comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. You've been doing a great job doing that. We really appreciate the help. You can also visit our website at goodjudgepod.com for outlines and more details about our podcasts. Once again, I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. Thanks for listening. Hey, Tane, I guess it's time to bang the gavel on this one. Any last thoughts before we wrap up this session? (laughs) Yes, Wade. Yes, I do have some thoughts. This is Governor Brian Kemp reminding you to mask up and eat local. All celebrity voices are impersonated. Thanks for listening to the Good Judge Men Podcast.